I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Helen. And this is the Squiggly Careers Podcast, where every week we share some ideas and some tools that we really hope will help you to navigate that squiggly career with a bit more confidence and control. And if this is the first time that you've listened, it might be useful for you to know that alongside the podcast, we also produce a range of different resources, which sounds very formal, but some stuff to help you with your learning, including a pod sheet, which is a downloadable summary. We have pod notes, which are swipeable summaries. They're quite quick and easy. And then we put it all together into pod mail. You can get all of that stuff from our website. If you go to amazingif.com, click on the podcast page, you'll basically find everything there. And if you ever can't find it, just email us. We're Helen and Sarah at Squidly careers.com and so this week we're talking about when it's great to be good enough so the context for this topic is there is so much happening in all of our squiggly careers and in our weeks that if you try to do everything to an equal standard you are going to get in your own way well equally high standard i suppose yes equally high standard (laughs) yeah if you do it all to an equally low standard that's a different problem altogether (laughs) but i do think this is probably one of those classic areas of self-sabotage where you know if you've got really high standards all the time you're not discerning about sort of where you apply those standards everything takes a lot of time you probably don't involve people in the right way and there are moments where pace and progress are more important than a very very high quality bar and not only can it hold you back I think it can hold back the people around you too because it becomes a source of stress it can create issues across your team If you're a manager, we know the number one reason people find managers difficult is micromanagement. And that could definitely come from this sense of everything has to be amazing all of the time or kind of fear of failure. So what we're not saying is do less better. So sort of try and reduce the amount of things you're doing and just have have this high quality (laughs) bar the whole time. Yeah, I think that is the, the cop out answer. It's how do we all get comfortable with some things being good enough? Because the payoff if we can do this, is that then it releases you. It gives you more time to put extra energy and effort into those things where, you know, maybe they do matter more. You do want the quality to be exceptionally high and good enough is okay the rest of the time. That's actually kind of the right answer. And I think Helen and I, we've worked out, we've prepped quite a lot for this podcast and had quite a few chats about it. I really hope it'll be a helpful topic for you because we've been finding it really useful and definitely had a few realisations that we start from a very different place here and sort of need quite different help. And so in order to work out where you are starting from, we have created a matrix. And actually, it's a matrix I think we're both very on board with. Know, so it's yeah, not I'm... just a Helen matrix, it's, a, it's an us matrix <laughs> well, this week. I think it's because there's a Helen matrix 
matrices, is that the right term? Right. And there's helpful matrices. <laughs> and I think we decided that this one is a helpful, is a helpful yes, one. Yes, I haven't I just randomly helpful. created one. So we think that the matrix, which I will talk through now, will help you to assess where you're starting from in terms of your approach to, you know, always needing to be great or kind of being okay already with being good enough. And I'll talk it through, but we'll also, this is one of the things that we'll put in the pod sheet. So it might be easier to visualize this. We'll create something that you can see on social. So if you follow us at Amazing Enough on LinkedIn or on Instagram, you'll be able to see it there. And we'll also put it in the pod sheet for you. So in order to assess yourself on the matrix, there are two dimensions that you need to reflect on. The first is how much you care about this thing you're doing, the project that you're working on. And that could be like a high level of care or it could be a low level of care. And the second is how much you need control, how much control you feel like you should have and want to have over this thing. It might be a high need for control or a low need for control. And depending on where you kind of mix those two things up in terms of things that you're working on, depends on where you sit on this matrix. And that has certain implications for how you manage things and how you might come across to other people. So let me talk through the four different results depending on those care and control factors. So let's imagine you have got a really high need for control, but actually the thing that you're doing, you don't really care about. What this comes across as is you being very territorial about your work. You're sort of automatically assuming ownership of this thing, even though you don't really care about the outcome. And it might sound like, well, that's my job. That's my job to do. I'm not going to give it to someone else because that's my job to do. Maybe you're not that passionate about doing it, but you kind of go, well, that's my job. I should be the person doing that. I'm not going to let that go to somebody else. And that can be quite off-putting to somebody else who could see how it could be better (laughs) if you would give it to somebody else, but you're just keeping hold of it because that's my job to do. It also might look like you're very concerned about sort of taking credit, you know, almost sort of going, well, this is mine. Mm. So even though you don't really care about it, you're not prepared to share it with other people. You're sort of going, well, I want to keep all of my stuff with me because what happens then if I don't get the plaudits Mm. for that piece of work or for that project? And so I think we've probably all done this at some point as well. I think with each of these, as you go through, it's really thinking about maybe consider a piece of work at the moment that you're doing where you would like to have this good enough mindset and skill set. And as Helen's describing each part of the matrix, just think about like which one of these would you fall into? Mm. Don't beat yourself up about it. Like we've all done all of them. But then just think like what are the risks if you sort of stay in sort of the unhelpful parts of the matrix? So the next part is where you have a low need for control. So you kind of don't need to take ownership of it. And also you have a low level of care. So you don't really care about the outcome. And we have called this particular response to your work the detached response. And the risk here is really to your reputation because you're working on something and you're just sort of letting go into the world without any particular care or any particular sort of sight of what happens next. And it might sound like you saying or you hearing someone else say, I'm just going to send it and see. And what's driving someone often who is in this kind of area of being a bit detached about their work is a need to get it done. I see this in myself sometimes. And it's not that I'm just intentionally trying to just be detached from things. It's because I'm so focused on getting things done and getting things out that I sort of stop caring about it because the objective is getting it done. And I don't really care about what happens next to it because um, I've sort of let it go so I can get something else done. So I do see this in myself and they, I'm just going to send it and see it'll be fine. It'll probably be fine. Well, how do you know it's fine, Helen? I don't because I've got I'm very detached from my work I've moved on to the next thing so I don't care yeah exactly exactly that (laughs) that's definitely I definitely see myself in that one 
The next one, which might be more like Sarah, <laughs> is where you have a high level of care. So the thing that you are working on, you are very personally invested in. You want it to do well. You've got almost like that emotional connection to it. But you also have a very high need for control over when it gets done and how it gets done and what gets done on it. And what we're calling this is when you're very attached to your work. And the risk is you basically become overattached because you're sort of over-identifying with the outcome. This is about you and your work and how you think it should be done and not really having sort of being able to zoom out and see the bigger picture here. It's about, you know, the time that you're spending on it and how much your ideas are being progressed with this particular project. And it might sound like, and when I say it might sound like, this is what it does sound like from Sarah to me. Sarah will often like hand me a project and say, I've got it 90% there now, it's ready for your input. And I'm like, hmm, <laughs> what if I think it's not 90% there? Have I, are you not giving me permission now to input beyond Absolutely not. A, a minor improvement? <laughs> and so it's sort of like, I'm like, what's the point of me contributing if it's 90% there? I'm not the person who ticks things off. And I'm being harsh. That's not always how I respond, but that's how it can feel when someone says, I've got it 90% there now. You're like, what value am I supposed to be adding at this point in time? Anything you'd like to add to that, Sarah? No, just when, <laughs> when I read what it sounds like, I was just thinking, that sounds exactly and suspiciously like me. I definitely, and I think sometimes you can do these things unintentionally and sort of unconsciously. So as soon as I saw that written down, I was like, I have definitely been working on things where Helen and I are working on them together. And I would definitely say that. And I'm not thinking I don't care about mm. Helen's input or I don't want her ideas this has happened, you know, almost like you've sort of slipped into being too attached. Yeah. I think this happens, or certainly for me, it happens sort of gradually. It's not like a choice that I've made. I've not suddenly thought, oh, I, I'm really controlling and I really, really care about this. And therefore I really over-identify with what I'm working on. You sort of get, I think you get more and more attached to something over time. And then by the time you share it with someone else, it feels very hard to kind of let it go. And so then almost without realising, you do say, oh, it's 80% there, it's 90% of the way there. Now, in some ways, I think I'm probably also telling myself maybe a fake story <laughs> of, well, Helen should be proud of me because I've got it 90% of the way there. So it's so interesting, isn't it, sometimes that what you're telling yourself and then almost how that thing is being received. Mm. And for some things, getting it 90% there might be exactly what is needed. But just reminding ourselves here of what we're talking about, we're talking about something where you've intentionally thought this is about being good enough. So if something is good enough, it's about pace and progress. What are you doing getting it to 90% of the way there? Yeah. That is not the marker or that is not a factor in a good enough piece of work. So it might be okay for some other things, but it is not okay if you're going... Well, this is about kind of speed and sharing. I think effectively, if you are sort of someone who naturally gets over attached to their work, the main message, and we're going to get practical on the how of this in a minute, but you've got to learn to let it go. Take some things into your ways of working, which help you learn to let it go because the work will hopefully be better because you do that. That's what we want you to realise. One of the things I think if you are over attached in terms of a risk, and I don't see this in Sarah, you're, you don't do this, but I think the risk is that you can get quite defensive about other people's input. So even if you do kind of go, I've got it 90% there and I pick it up, I might go, oh, I think we could do this bit differently or this bit I think would be better if we did this you might get quite defensive about it because you're so attached to it now you don't do that you would always listen to feedback I can imagine that would happen for other people because it feels like a, a criticism of them and not mm. the work because it's become very personal 
Now, the area that we're trying to get everyone to, where there is a high level of care, like you want this thing to go well, you're kind of working hard on it because of that high level of care, but we want you to have a lower level of control. This is where you're basically learning to let go. We're calling this area, this response, the open response. And this is where you know you can let it go so that thing can grow. You're able to kind of see that it can be better if you do that. And it might sound like somebody saying, I've made progress and now I'd really love your perspective. And it's sort of like this sort of happy handoff, I would say, Mm. to somebody else. That's what we're really, we're looking for here. And this is the zone of good enough. This kind of open approach to how you're working, this ability to let it go because you think it'll be better as a result of that is this zone of good enough, which we're trying to spend a bit more time in. So we've now got five ideas for action for when you want to stay in that open zone of good enough. So things that are going to help you maybe move from one zone to another if you need to, or just to recognise the zone that you need to be in to effectively manage something with sort of a good enough mindset. So idea for action one, and these are based on, I think, things that both you and I have actually done very practically. So the first one is called Stop and Share. This has worked really well for me. So I find having a definitive time and date when you're going to stop working on something and share it incredibly useful. It creates a boundary. You need to communicate that boundary to the person who you're working with. And then good enough essentially becomes wherever you get to by that time. And so I like it because it limits me. It's limiting and then I've got to let it go. And though I still find it really hard, if I don't let it go, I then feel like a failure. Mm. So I was actually working on something last week. Helen and I were writing an article together and I'd basically, I was doing four hours of focused work on this article. And Helen and I had agreed, we were actually in the same place, but sort of working very separately. We didn't actually see each other. Sort of like Sarah's gonna work on this for four hours. And then at that point, Sarah stops. And we were so clear on that, that I was just like, well, good enough becomes whatever I can do in four hours. Now, did I want to send you that link? Was I ready? Of course I wasn't. By that point, I was really attached to it and I really care about that article. And that's a good thing. We should never, don't want to diminish caring about the work that you do. <laughs> you always send me those things with some WhatsApp messages. Oh yeah. Which I, really, I should probably read those. I think it says like, I'm really happy with where we've got to. Yeah. Like, you know, the emotion is coming out. <laughs> so you're like handing it over, but you're also like, like the emotion of that kind of overattachment oh, yeah. comes through. And so I just think if you've got the boundary, you've created and communicated a boundary, you're so much more likely to stick to the good enough approach. And then maybe if you're like me and you do find it hard, perhaps once you've started to do that. So I've done that a lot more now in the last like couple of years as Helen and I have sort of developed our ways of working. I'm, I'm really used to doing that. But maybe to Helen's point, the next thing I need to practice sort of letting go is when I stop and share something, it is okay to just stop and share. So what I do, as Helen's just described, is I stop and share with sort of some commentary and probably a few caveats and a bit of extra sharing that I probably don't need to do. Let's say I've written an article. Helen can read that article and she can figure out what she thinks. She doesn't need any of that extra stuff from me. And so actually, again, I could buy myself back another... 15 minutes of time or half an hour of time by not doing that extra bit because that extra bit isn't the good enough bit. The good enough is you write the thing and you share the thing. And so again, just sort of spotting, you know, almost like what helps you to let go. What helps me to let go is probably doing some of that extra stuff. So that's probably my like even better if, even though I am so much better at this than I was, probably even better would be just share the link to the article, Sarah. You don't need to go any further than that. (laughs) 
<laughs> makes me nervous saying it out loud. I'm like, but what about the WhatsApp messages that make me feel better? <laughs> but this is a spectrum, right? So like stop and share is better than like keeping it to yourself. No, um, yeah, so yeah. Like, I think learning to like, there's a few like points to in order to do that. So I think the link with some commentary is fine <laughs> to get moving on things. The second idea for action is all about going back to basics. I think one of the things that I've spotted with people that have this desire for everything to be great and they struggle to let go of their work, I think one of the other sort of byproducts of that behavior is that people also struggle to get started because they're like, oh, it's going to be amazing in order for me to move this forward. And and my idea could be even better. And so it's like, what could it look like? Give me an idea of it. And it's like that person is not ready to kind of put that idea down on paper. And so going back to basics is a bit of a forcing function for getting an idea down on paper. So other people can see it even before like a project progresses. It's just like, what is this idea that's in your head? Like, let it go so other people can see it and contribute to it and one of the things that we do here is we do project on a page and it is really really useful because you might think oh this idea could be better I'm not ready to share it yet all that kind of stuff but project on a page is a real forcing function for you to get that idea out of your head put the main details think of it as like the minimum viable product approach like what are the basics like what's the objective how would it work what would good look like how would we measure when could we start those sorts of questions are all really useful for project on a page and what we are saying now in our team for example is every project we commit to must have a project on a page so other people could look at it they could share ideas it's kind of consistent for everyone so this isn't something that you know we just make Sarah do because she needs to (laughs) she needs to start learning to get over things like it's not like a special Sarah thing it becomes part of the team culture and I do think that's important you don't want to single people out for like behaviors Sarah has to do project on a page but no one else does Helen can do whatever she wants (laughs) I think this is an important sort of part of a culture you know we talked on the podcast recently about ways of working I think project on a page is part of potentially of a team's ways of working but I do think it reduces the pressure and it helps everybody to contribute and it can become just a consistent way a team all kind of gets more pace and also perspective on the things they're working on Well, I think if you have identified something as this is where we want to be good enough, that's what's most important here is to make progress and be good enough. If you don't then have a shared clarity or understanding on what that good enough is, you actually also run the risk that, well, good enough in my head is probably very different to good enough in Helen's head. Well, I say probably, definitely. (laughs) So if you miss this bit out, I actually think you could end up with confusion. You could end up with frustration. So Helen and I could be like, this is a good enough piece of work. I go, well, good enough for me looks like a shiny presentation because that's what I think we need for this piece of work. And Helen goes, well, I thought we could just write in our... We have lots of wikis in our team. I thought we could just write it on a wiki. And the most important thing to do was to get down a paragraph of what this could look like. And I go, oh, okay, well, we've sort of talked about that and then we've agreed good enough. So I think if you miss this bit, especially if you're doing this sort of as a team or maybe with a manager... So you imagine if Helen is my manager and Helen's like, right, okay, so I think this is about being good enough, but our starting points of good enough are very different as we've talked about in terms of that matrix. Again, as a manager, Helen might think, well, Sarah's not listening or she doesn't understand or perhaps she's not good at working quickly. Or if you're a manager who said, say, I'm the manager now and kind of re-reverse the roles. And I say to Helen, well, this is just about being good enough. And then I see what Helen does. And I'm like, well, this is, this is not good enough. <laughs> you know, you, you could end up, it, yeah. it could actually could be quite tricky yeah. and actually really demotivating. So I think just spending a little bit of time on this sort of, well, what does the minimum viable product look like? What is good enough? Make sure that that's agreed 
and sort of probably written down somewhere so everyone has 100% clarity on that just stops you sort of falling at the first hurdle or trying this and then going, well, that doesn't work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And my watch out on this one, I feel like with every one of these is like a, a watch out for, is don't overperfect the project on a page. So the idea of a project on a page is you can get your thoughts down quite quickly to create clarity for everybody. But what you could do is then overperfect because you're trying to make everything great. You could be like, oh, there's not enough detail in that. Oh, I think we need something else on project on a page. And it's like, no, no, no. The point is we've got it down on paper so people can talk about it and move it forward. It is not to, you know, spend so much time on project on a page that the project never moves forward. So don't overperfect that thing. Yeah, like I could spend quite a lot of time making sure the words were right. Or being like, oh, maybe we could just sort of tighten that objective um, and that's not going to be that useful. What I think is helpful is that word page because that is a forcing function. Mm. So good enough equals one page. So I would say if it felt like it was longer than that, I'd be like, okay, well, that's a bit of a red flashing light because maybe we don't all understand what we're trying to do. And that's still helpful. So idea for action three is about checkpoints. When you are doing something and you're in that good enough mindset, very rarely are we working by ourselves in our squiggly careers. There's usually cross-functional relationships, there's interdependencies, there's stakeholders that we're going to need to involve and be aware of and maybe share our work as we go. So a bit like when we've talked before about labelling things as experiments, I can actually imagine it might be useful to label things as this is a good enough project or whatever words would feel kind of right in your culture, but then agreeing when are the right checkpoints. So maybe you say, okay, I'm going to check in with this group when I made 10% progress, 50%, 75% and 90%. What is quite interesting in some of the articles I've read is that often by doing this, what you realize is that good enough, you get there quicker than you'd imagined. So for example, you get to 50% and people actually go, that's fine. That's actually all we needed. Or you get to 75% and someone's like, oh, actually, do you know what? We don't need the next 25%. So you suddenly don't waste work along the way. These checkpoints actually speed you up. And what's quite interesting, I've done this before, actually somewhere else where I've worked, is sometimes almost going, we're going to do this really 
differently, kind of make something good enough and just see what the impact is on stakeholders and relationships. And you often like take a bit of a deep breath because you think, oh, everyone's really used to, let's say, receiving this information in a very shiny presentation. I don't know, a monthly report with loads of metrics Mm. in. And it's like, okay, well, we do that. and It takes loads of hours from everybody and we all work really hard on it. If we were to apply a good enough mindset to this monthly pack, it took 30 hours rather than, I don't know, 300 hours. I'm exaggerating. And then you do that and then you actually say to stakeholders, actually, do you know what? We've experimented with doing this in a good enough way because we're very mindful. It's very time consuming. And actually, we think we could do it in a more basic way, but still give you what you need. Every time I've ever seen anybody do that and anyone be brave enough to do that, usually people just go, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) And you're like... What? I mean, partly you are like, you sort of go, are you telling me that it's always been fine and I didn't need to do the 300 slides or whatever? But I think most of the time, you know, almost like you fall into habits of how things get done and everything maybe has this really high quality bar. And then when you actually, I worked for a really good director who was good at this actually, and she would be like, she would just challenge it. She'd almost be like, well, why does that need to be five pages? Why does that need to take four people? Why do we need to pay someone externally to make this look all shiny? She'd just always be like, well, like, how do we do it really simply and quickly? Because she was actually very like Helen. She was very pacey and mm. progressy naturally. So she sort of, she brought that mindset. And I think then if you've got someone who can sort of champion that, you all sort of start getting a bit more confident with this idea of good enough. Because I think we hide behind sometimes, you know, some of those things that make things shiny or the amount of hours and it feels all great. And you're like, okay, it's got a really high quality bar. So we feel better about our work. I actually think it can sometimes be, well, I don't think, I know, you can feel quite vulnerable. It's quite exposing to do something in a sort of good enough way if you've been used to doing it in a sort of a everything must be great way. It's so interesting just to listen to you because it's it's just so different to my experience. <laughs> I mean, I could actually see Helen today, so usually we don't see in the same room. You were just listening to me there, just being like, right, is this what is what it a... feels like. Yes, it is exactly what it feels <laughs> you know, like. Because you, you were like, use it when we all feel like this. And I was like, no, I do not feel like that. I don't have that... <laughs> I just do not feel like that. I mean, about... we need to talk about quality. Let's do, can we now do well, the yeah, other podcast? I mean, how can you improve the quality of your work? It's probably a podcast that I need to. It would make me feel on. better. Yeah, we probably should. I think I am, because of that pace and perspective and that I prioritise getting it done, which definitely has some disadvantages. I'm not saying that's always great, like quality bar being one of them. I think sometimes, I think what Sarah and I really help each other to do sometimes is meet in the middle. So mm. my, my quality bar sometimes is too low because I'm very focused on just kind of getting it done. And so that will be reflected in typos in work and emails missing words out and that kind of stuff and Sarah's quality bar will be too high which means she'll spend longer on things than she needs to do so I think we kind of help each other meet in the middle sometimes which again I think is probably a separate idea for action who sits in a different position on that matrix Mm. to you so who is kind of you know someone who has a lower level of care or control than you might need to have because that they you could be really useful peer mentors for each other well I think I am so much better at this because I now work with you day in day out So that has actually made a really big difference to how I work. Mm. And that's great because then I can make more progress on things where sometimes you do want to get something done quite quickly. I wouldn't be realizing any benefit from that. My one top tip or sort of watch out, as we've been saying for all of these, and our team are actually very good at doing this, is when you are checking in with people, be really clear on like, what are you checking in on? So for example, we do some 10 minute tools for career development. And actually we've got quite a lot of them free on our website if anyone wants any of them under our free toolkit. When we're developing those, the team definitely have like check-in moments with me. They're actually really specific about sort of we're 
30% of the way through, we're 60% of the way through. What they do, which really matters, is they will say, okay, Sarah, so we're halfway through now developing this tool. What we want to check in with you on is, have we got the words all right? Are we happy with the words because we're now ready to move on to the design? But basically, ignore everything else other than the words. Now, I don't want to ignore everything else because what about all the other things I can see that could be better and that could improve? But the clarity of that checkpoint means that I follow it. Yeah. Because someone has been so explicit and said to me, this is what we are checking in on. So as long as that is right, we are moving on Mm. because that is good enough for now. And I go, sure. (laughs) And just say, yes, that's fine. And try not to panic because I do find it hard. I can't stop myself seeing all the other stuff. I think that's just where I see that working so well in our team is just that you're checking in on something. You've got that sort of clarity of like, well, what do you need from other people? Otherwise, those check-ins can become free-for-alls. Yeah. I have seen that happen. So number four, relax your standards. Now this is a build no. on what I know, I know. Well, this is a build on what Sarah said. You know, like where you mentioned like a dashboard. I think that's a really good example. You know, like monthly reports, and they can take absolutely ages. So many people input on them, they go round and round and round, take lots of hours. I think you need to look across the range of stuff that you're doing and think which one or two of those things would be appropriate for it to be good enough and that you know I might get some time back for example I might be able to experiment with doing it a different way what we are not saying is that every single thing that you work on you should take a good enough approach to thank god yeah (laughs) (laughs) otherwise I'm giving up (laughs) but I think it's important maybe for it to be a team discussion about what you think should be great yeah 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 so like we might look at all the things that Sarah and I are doing and say do you know what this particular project is really important for amazing impact and it is important that it is great because it's part of our brand and what we stand for but you know what these are the five things it's okay for that to be good enough and good enough means that we're not going to spend two days prepping for a podcast because yeah. do you know what an hour together in a room will make it good enough I mean you can give us feedback after we've done that. <laughs> yeah but, but is this, <laughs> oh my god I'm like is this a good enough podcast or is this a great podcast oh, now you've know, got me like so, oh no it's so better <laughs> but like there are I think you can't make everything great and not everything should be good enough I think is the point we're trying to get to so when we're saying relaxing your standards look across the work you do in a week and just really think about what is going to be good enough this week And for those things, think about what might I do differently? If I'm taking a good enough approach to that meeting or that project, what does that mean I am doing differently? Maybe I'm going to reduce the amount of meetings that we're all having because you know what? We could probably make it good enough with just one. Maybe that email that I send every week doesn't need to be like, three scrolls on my computer maybe I could make it five bullet points and ultimately that'll be good enough because someone will tell me if they need more information I think for me I'd scan my diary I'd think what am I spending the most time on and if I took a good enough approach to it how much time would I get back and what would I do differently and so for me I think one of my examples of this we get asked regularly to input on articles, right? So we write some articles, Harvard Business Review articles, for example, I think they need to be great. There are some other things that people will ask for our input on, which I take a good enough approach to. So they'll say, oh, we'd really like your perspective on this point for International Women's Day. Now I think, okay, well, I've got 10 minutes. I'll quickly type out my thoughts on this. And could it be better? Yes. But is it good enough to go? Yes. And that's when I sort of build that in. Otherwise, I'd spend way too much time writing and reflecting those things. Ultimately, I think that's good enough to go a lot of the time. Also, what was interesting is we were prepping for the podcast with this particular idea for action. Our examples were very different Mm. because your response to this was, I already do this a lot. Mm. You were like going, I'm almost finding it hard to think of new examples because this is sort of built into my 
DNA. Mm. Like lots of things that I do are good enough because you're naturally pacey and progressy as we've kind of talked about. I looked at it and I was like, no. <laughs> I will not come up with an idea of how I can relax my standards. <laughs> and I was just, I'd like, I've even written in our notes, but I was like, right, I'm finding this really hard. <laughs> I feel like everything we do should have a really high quality because I really care about it. I was really struggling to sort of identify what in my week I would do differently. This idea of sort of letting go of a quality bar does make me very uncomfortable. So just in case anybody else relates to that. And so what I was thinking for me, it's probably what I don't do that's more revealing versus what I would do differently. So there are some things I don't do because I think I need to do it brilliantly. I've not got the time to, so therefore I don't do it. For example, even today, I talked to Helen about a sort of idea that I've got where I said to her, oh, I could post this idea on LinkedIn or Instagram and just get some feedback on it and see like how people could contribute. Sort of what are the barriers to squiggly careers, essentially. Now that's been in my head already for two or three days. I talked to Helen about it briefly this morning. Yeah. That could very, very easily never become a thing because I would be like, right, when have I got an hour to an hour and a half to craft this message and then to put it out onto Instagram or LinkedIn and then to make sure that I'm present in case people respond and I sort of want to be there for that. And then of course, suddenly it doesn't happen. Now, does that need to be great? No. What do I need? Like, what is the purpose of that? Is to get some feedback and to do some listening from people who are part of our Squiggy Careers community. So the most important thing to do is to do it. So for me, it wouldn't be about doing things differently. It would be about doing things that I don't want to do as quickly as I would need to do them to make them happen. Does that make sense? <laughs> no, it does. But I'm just remembering the conversation because Sarah shared this idea with me and I was like, oh, what we should do is just do an Instagram poll and then we can see really quickly what these are. And I could see you being like, hmm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. And then you said, I think what we should do is we should come up with our ideas and then we should put it on a wiki and then we'll put those ideas <laughs> on social media and we'll see if anyone's got ideas to build on them. Now, might that make it more effective? Yes. But ultimately, could we get to the same sort of ideas quicker by just sharing it? Yes. Again, I think this goes back to it's really, really helpful for you to pair with someone who has a different approach to you just to challenge, just to challenge some of the decisions that you make on autopilot. I think if you have this great approach to all the work that you do, I think you might not even see the situations that that creeps into. Mm -hmm. um, but it is likely to be on everything from the emails that you send to the way that you manage projects to the way that you kind of show up in meetings and prepare for meetings. Like it'll be pervasive, I think, if this is the way that you work. And our last idea for action number five is it's better because. So if you are trying to create a culture where at times good enough is exactly what is needed then you've got to recognize how being good enough makes something better. Because also I think we are more motivated by outcomes and it's almost like the why behind the work again. And so if you just go, oh, we're going to take a good enough approach to this, for somebody like me, that feels hard. Whereas if we say, well, we're going to take a good enough approach to this and almost as a result of that, it was better because we got really quick feedback and we've been able to make progress and look how much further forward we are now versus where we were a month ago, I would sort of go, oh, okay, I can see and we've realised some of the benefits of it. I think the more somebody could sort of point out to me, but you do realise that's better because of this now and almost like connect some of those dots and then I can start to attach myself to going, oh, okay, well, I... I really wanted that feedback or I really appreciate the fact that those 10 people have come back to us with some ideas that have made this better. And so I think the more you can sort of go 
well, we took this good enough approach, but then you just take that bit of time to do the sort of retrospective of that made it better because rather than just being like, oh, it just felt really uncomfortable the whole time. And I think somebody like you slash you, you need evidence. Because if, if yeah. you were like, for you, I think you'd be like, well, if I said to you, oh, if we take a good enough approach to this, we'll be able to get it out faster. You'd be like, well, I don't care about how fast it goes out, Helen. Exactly I right. think it should be better. Yeah. Like, and, and, that, sounds, and so, that sounds very right. <laughs> I agree I agree <laughs> with that statement. Or if I said, I think we should take a good enough approach to this because then we'll be able to do more things in parallel. You'd be like, well, I don't think we should do more things in parallel, Helen. That's agree. the whole point. I think we should focus on one thing at once and do it right. I also <laughs> agree with that. I mean, these are things that Sarah would say. So in order to <laughs> encourage Sarah to adapt her behaviour or, you know, insert other name than Sarah, I think evidence is really important. Like I, me saying to you, look, just want to like look back on the way we took a good enough approach to that project. This is why I think it was better because, and Sarah would appreciate that. And ultimately, the thing you know that we want to care about is what makes our our team or our business or our work better. So it's not if someone's idea can be built on and improved upon, then that ultimately is the thing that we should care about, not just the idea itself, but the impact of that idea or that project. And so that better because I think really helps someone to zoom out and appreciate the benefit of working in this way. And I think it is okay to have those honest, and I think you can just sort of quite enjoy having those conversations where like, as Helen described, if someone just said to me, oh, we've done it faster, I'd be like, well, it's not, so it doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Or like, oh, we've done more stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do more stuff. You've got to find, I think, common objectives and outcomes that you are all committed to. So for example, if Helen and I are thinking about, let's imagine we were kind of writing another book and we'd got an idea, if I kind of keep everything, if I get very attached, and actually I think it's fair to say I probably did get quite attached to writing You Coach You, which Helen can tell you that story another day. <laughs> and that created problems, right? Well, it makes me detached. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I'm not going to so fight you. The more attached I get, the more detached yeah. Helen gets. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we found our way through that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, oh my God, we do so much more. got published and we're still counseling. friends. It's yeah. all fine. <laughs> there was a point though, wasn't there, where it was like, are we still friends? But no, I'm no, just going to write my own we, book. We are. <laughs> I'm going to write a rival book. <laughs> But I think one of the things that we then had to find our way through was we realised halfway through that book that that is what had happened. Mm. So then once we both zoomed out and we were like, right, what is our common objective here? What is the common outcome that we are both really committed to? Then almost part two of that process became much more open. And if I actually think about how good we are now at being very open on good enough bits of work, we almost had to have the pain of that, I think, showed us almost the... Benefit. Well, you get detached, I get attached. That's not helpful for anyone, especially not when you're first drafting a book where actually good enough is what's most important. Not ultimately, of course, you want it to be great ultimately, but actually for draft one, it is about good enough. And so we sort of almost had to get it wrong to then be able to get it right. And then I think it's made us so much more comfortable with that sort of, you let it go to let it grow. So for me, even if it feels hard, I know it's going to be better because we know what we're trying to achieve. And if Helen starts to feel a bit detached, she'll think, okay, well, how do I re-engage? How do I get involved with this again? Like what is happening here? And I think we've also both got a lot better at sort of positively reinforcing positive behavior. Mm. Um, So like where it is hard to let it go, like recognize that and just go like, like you'll say to me, I'm really looking forward to reading it. Or like, you'll know that I'll sometimes get, which I think you always look so bemused about. I'm always like, oh, I'm a bit nervous to hear how you feel about, or like, you know, what's your feedback going to be basically on a bit of work? And you're like, 
you're nervous about? I'm like, well, yeah, because, you know, I care and, you know, I, w- I want to know how we're doing and stuff. I just see you just being like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, I'm just going to get on with it, Sarah. I know you think that. <laughs> Sometimes it is actually surprising that we do work together so well. Uh, I can never work out whether these podcasts help or hinder us because we just sort of start to realise all of our flaws. But, yeah, we find our way through and that's, that's all about squiggling with success, right? <laughs> Until oh. we one day have a massive bust up and it all goes really wrong. It's fine, we'll just do a podcast on it. It's yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> our listeners can get counsellors through this naughty moment. In Almost our... the worse we get, the more interesting it becomes, maybe. I don't know. Everyone's seeing our downfall, like podcast by podcast, they'll be like, oh, I, I remember where that started. It was that conversation <laughs> they had about great and good enough. And then Sarah's quality bar just got higher instead of like... <laughs> and Helen got more and more detached from what they were doing. So she left and started up her own rival career development company. Oh my God, can you imagine? Called the Straight Line of Success. <laughs> Hopefully don't. this won't happen, everyone. Hopefully this won't happen. I feel like we're a bit delirious. We should say this afternoon we are quite excited. We are going to Downing Street. Ooh, this is um, a random segue. On this it podcast. is a random segue, but I feel like we should explain. Maybe we have been a bit more hyper in this podcast <laughs> than normal. So it's International Women's Day, the day that we're recording this. And we don't really know why. There's not loads of context in the invite, but we did get an invite, which initially we might have thought was fake. We were like, <laughs> why have we been invited? And like, is this a real invite? We have decided it's a real invite. We'll have to let you know if we get there and they're like, yeah, this is not a real invite because we're not 100% sure, but we think it is. So really, we're just going to be nosy, but we are very excited and we're going to try and take a picture of our Squiggly career book in front of Downing Street, just to say that Squiggly's made it to Downing Street. In front so of that's 10 exciting. Downing Street, not just the street. We're going to go to 10 Downing Street. Yeah, yeah I assume if, if we're allowed to, I don't know what the rules are. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to exciting. make it happen. We'll be rebels with the Squiggly cause. So shall I quickly summarise the five ideas for action to yes. help you be good enough when good enough is great? So idea for action one, stop and share. Create a boundary and communicate that boundary. Idea for action two, go back to basics. What is the MVP? Idea for action three, create checkpoints and be really clear and have clarity, like what are you checking in on? Idea for action four, relax your standards. So figure out like where can you be good enough? Is it about doing something differently or doing something you wouldn't normally do if you're like me? And idea for action five, better because make sure people feel motivated by this idea of being in a good enough mindset. And as we said at the start, all of it will be summarised in the pod sheet, so you'll be able to download that. I think this could be a really interesting conversation to have as a team. Like, where do you sit on the matrix, for example? What could we do differently to help you? All really good conversations. Uh, you can get that from our website, amazingif.com. But we will be back with you and another episode of the Squid Careers podcast next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.